When you run commercial deal analysis, you want to know what the purchase price is, what your terms of the loan are going to be, because that really kind of makes or breaks the deal anyways. And you can get awesome loan. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm kind of tired of being stuck inside though. It's been so cold here. I know we always talk about the weather, but it's such a defining thing for me. I don't know why, if it's like a beautiful day, I'm like in the best, happiest mood, but it's been really windy and breezy here, but I know it's windy where you're at, but warm. So you're, you're lucked out that you're not here in the Bay area where it's chilly, but yeah. What's going on with you? It's uh, Yeah, it's a nice sunny day, but yes, it's so much wind here in the desert. We're in the Palm Springs area. And yeah. yesterday we were able to go see some friends in a much less windy part of right. the Palm Springs area, the La Quinta area, which for anybody, okay. any of our listeners who watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette, which is like <laughs> my secret guilty obsession, uh, <laughs> one of the recent seasons was filmed at the La Quinta Resort, which we drove by. So that was Ooh. Cool. That anyway, like fun. I digress. Let's talk about our guest today, yes. who is Stacy Rossetti. She's fabulous. She is a she started out with wholesaling and rehabbing and then made her way into self-storage once she realized that she really wanted to be more of a passive investor. And so she talks on the show about that journey, how she made that realization and what she did next the coaches that helped her along the way, as well as the parts of her story where she kind of just figured it out on her own. And that's something that, you know, we talk about a lot is, you know, don't get stuck in that analysis paralysis, just jump in, do it, and then sort of figure it out along the way. And that's one of the things that I love about Stacy's story. Yeah. And I think the thing that I took away too is, you know, one of the things that she talked a lot about in the first half of the show was coaching and being coached and having coaches. And that's something that you and I have believed in from the very beginning when we thought, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to get into this business a little bit more seriously. We need to get a coach. And as I said on the show, we probably have more coaches now than we had when we first started because we see what works. Right. And so, you know, hearing about her journey and hearing that coaching was a big part of that as well is a good reminder for everyone out there that if you really want to get serious in the business, hire a coach, it'll shorten the time that you're getting in. You're going to spend learning about all of this that we do. But something else that I thought was really interesting that she talked about, and this is something that I kind of have thought a lot about too, in the last year or so, but she says that, you know, after she, you know, had been in the wholesaling space and rehabbing and whatnot, so she'd already kind of been in real estate for a while that she kind of realized when she got pregnant with her daughter, that she didn't, wasn't so focused on passive income, like really heavily to the point where she could not do anything anymore. And she would still have a bunch of money rolling in. And so there was a point along her journey when she got pregnant with her daughter, that she realized that she needed to have a focus on building passive income streams. And I think it's such an important thing for everyone who's thinking about getting getting active in real estate, not to forget about simultaneously being active, but also focus on building up your passive income portfolio. Because otherwise, at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're trading one job for another, right? You quit your W-2 to get into real estate and sure, it's fun and we love it. And the you know people are great and all of that stuff. 
But at the end of the day, if you stop working, the money stops coming in, right? So always have that continued focus on building those passive income streams is something that I took away from her conversation. Mm-hmm. Such a good tip. And I love that Stacy, as soon as she could, she started giving back through teaching others. So she created REI USA as well as Storage Nerds, where she teaches other people how to get into self-storage investing. And so, you know, for all our listeners, you know, that's something that Julie and I are passionate about as well, not necessarily the self-storage, which we love, but just paying it forward and teaching others what we've learned about passive income, as well as real estate syndications and real estate investing. So for anybody who's new to that space, the best place to get started is to grab a copy of our book, Investing for Good. We've got a free hardcover copy for all of our listeners. Just go to goodegginvestments.com forward slash book. Now with that, let's dive into our conversation with Stacey Rossetti. Stacey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for letting me come on and hang out with you guys. Yeah, we're thrilled. Now, Stacey... When I think back to my own ideas about real estate investing, you know, before I got into it, I remember thinking, ah, how boring real estate investing must be, you know, all the numbers and certainly not creative in the least. And I bring that up because I know that you say that not only has investing in real estate changed your life, but it's given you an outlet for your creative and entrepreneurial energy. So take us back to the beginning of your story when you first fell in love with real estate during the home renovation you did almost 10 years ago now and share with us a little bit about, you know, the creative side of real estate, which I think not many people are privy to. Back in the day, I came into real estate investing on the upturn after the bubble, which was like the perfect time to get into real estate investing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of houses on the market, but not a lot of money. And I got into rehabbing. That's what I did. So, you know, creatively, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to fix up houses and make them look beautiful. But one thing that happened that really kind of opened up my mind in about 2010, 2011, 2012 is when I came in, is that there was no money on the market. There was no money out there at all. And essentially, I had to really think outside the box in order to fund all the deals I wanted to do. So not only was I creative in just like, you know, rehabbing homes and, you know, fixing up and making them look beautiful, but I really had to learn how to raise money. And so I'm very grateful and very blessed that I did come in at that time because it really did help me to be in the position I am now with all the deals that I've done over the past 10 years. And how did real estate even come to be on your radar in the first place? Was it something that you grew up with? you fell into? How did that happen? No, actually, my husband uh, suckered me into going to one of these like, you know, weekend, three day weekend boot camp things. And I was like, I'm not going Uh. to that. And actually, my husband, he had a home inspection company. That's what he did for many, many, for almost 10 years. And he got into the home inspection business in like 2009. And so I saw him, I was working at a job, like a corporate job at that time. And I saw him start this company, you know, and like when my husband started the company, like he was the quietest guy ever. And the first year was like horrible for him. You know, it was 2009 anyway, so it was kind of horrible, but the first year was not good for him. But what he did is he got a coach. That's the first thing. So if you guys don't know, there are home inspector coaches out there, which is cool, huh? And so he got a coach and then all of a sudden the next year, the second year, he started to like blossom 
And he got like came out of his shell and he was like building this company and the company became like super successful. And I was sitting there at my corporate job, honestly working. And I was thinking, that is not fair. That's not fair. I want that too. And yep. luckily my, my, the company that I worked for, they came to me the year after that. So it took a good year later. So three years in, they came to me and said, they're going to close the company down. And I was thinking to myself, yes, this is my chance. I'm going to go out there and start my business. I'm going to figure out what business it is. Had no idea which business it was. And my husband was like, you can always come work in my home inspection company. And I was like, no, I ain't doing that. I'm going to start my own business is what I'm going to do. And so he's like, well, you know, I've been doing this now for a couple of years. I was like, I see all these dumpy houses everywhere. It's like, I see all these kind of dumpy houses. Like, why don't you just, you know, why don't you get into the, you know, into the investing side and we can buy a couple of these houses up and then fix them up and like sell them. And I was like, you know, it's kind of a good idea. You know? So he's like, I heard this three-day boot camp. come and like, you know, do this thing with me. And I was like, fine, I'll go. So, and then after that, I got suckered into one of these coaching programs, but after that, it was just like, kind of just took off. It just took off. That's kind of how it worked for us. Yeah, that's so funny. That reminds me so much of my story with my husband as well. He had gotten into real estate first, he became a realtor. And I was like, okay, I don't know if you're going to succeed at this thing, but you just get it out of your system. You go figure it out. And he started off same thing. He sort of had a rocky first year, but then he had a coach and he really hit his stride. And over here, to just exactly as you're talking about, I'm over here working my corporate job. And the first year, my salary is way up here and his is way down here. And then the second year, we're like about even. And then third year, it was like he surpassed mine. I'm like, what is going on? Like the most I can ask for is maybe like a little tiny raise, but not much more. Certainly not these huge leaps that he's seeing. And so same thing. I was reluctant to get involved with his business, <laughs> but it's good. We both got into it. And so you went to this three-day boot camp. You're sort of reluctantly into it, but then you got into it. And so then did you guys work together or did you really, you know, start down the path of your own business while he was running his own business? Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm one of those people that like, when you get me to come to do like anything like this, I'm always like, yeah, man, let's do it. You know? I'm like the perfect person to go to these, these three day boot camps every <laughs> single time. Right. And so I was just like, yeah, after the three day, I was like, I'm in, let's do this. And my husband was just like, okay, you know, and he was doing his home inspection business and I started in wholesaling and rehabbing essentially is what I did. So that's what I learned how to do was mm -hmm. wholesale and rehab. And as soon as I got in, I just kind of lucked out because, um, I had gone to like, when I got into the coaching program, one of the first boot camps that they kind of had like internal boot camps that they had was how to raise money is what it was. And so I went to their like, you know, uh, internal boot camp on this thing, this topic. And I came back from that. It was like a three day boot camp. I came back and I was like all fired up and I was out walking my dogs on my property. We lived on a huge, like 10 acre, you know, farm and I was walking my dogs and we had a neighbor that kind of lived right next to us. And he also had like 10 or 20 acres. And he just happened to be like out there as well too. So we walked over and said, hi, and he kind of was like, yeah, what have you been up to? I said, I just got back from this like three-day boot camp. I'm going to get out there and raise some money. And I'm going to go out there and do some rehabs. It's going to be so awesome. Out of the blue, he's like, you know what? I'm really interested in investing in something like that. Would you be interested in letting me lend you some money on that? Like just randomly out of the blue. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. I have no idea what I'm doing, but let's do it. You know? 
<laughs> and he was my neighbor. So he was actually my very first lender. And he's been lending to me now for 10 years. And we've done like a gazillion, bazillion deals together. And he did the rehabs in the very beginning. And I convinced him to roll all his money over to storage facilities. So now he like uh, lends on some of the storage facilities that I own as well too. That worked out as well too. So when we, he can, I consider him kind of like a partner now. He's like a partner in my business. The universe really conspired to bring you guys together. Yeah. That sounds like a really chance thing. Well, that's great. And so take us a little bit deeper into that first deal. Because I think a lot of... Our listeners may have attended some similar three-day boot camps. And when you're at the boot camp, right, you're surrounded by these people and you're so excited. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You go home, you buy all the materials, you go home, you start going through it by yourself, right? You're back. You know, maybe you're still working your job. You're going through these things. You want to keep that momentum going, but a lot of people just aren't able to get there. So going from zero deals to that first deal is often the biggest hump, right? So yeah. talk us through that part of your story. So you leave the boot camp, and how were you able to take down that first deal that you did? Well, I was like super motivated because this boot camp was like really expensive, you know, and I was like, if I'm going to spend that much money, I need to get my, you know, I need to get my act together and I need to get out there and do stuff, you know? So that's like, that was back in the day when you did spend a lot of money to learn how to invest in real estate. Luckily, you don't have to do that now anymore because I feel like when you do spend so much money, you get like, you also get kind of overwhelmed very quickly. So I always tell my students as well to look for like, you know, look for coaches that like they don't require you to pay so much money up front. You know, that way you can utilize that money to invest in other deals. But I was like super motivated because I did spend a lot of money. And I was like, I am not going to waste this money at all. So that was number one. And then number two, like I did have a, like a coach, a one-on-one -on -one coach that was telling me exactly what to do. All right. And this is something that I truly believe in. I saw my husband had a coach. I also have always had coaches. And so, you know, and that's the type of thing is like, I honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. And essentially I just was able to talk to this person and this person would tell me exactly what to do. And I'm the type of person also, I'm very coachable, very, very coachable. You tell me what to do and I will do it, but I'm not going to sit there and try to figure it out because I just don't have time for that, you know, and I still to this day have coaches. I still like I have an online marketing coach. I've got real estate coaches, you know, so and you just have to be coachable. You have to listen and you really have to take charge. I tell my students all the time is like what you focus on expands, right? What you focus on and make it a priority. That's really what is going to manifest in your life. Right. So if you don't make this a priority, then it's not going to come to fruition because deals don't just fall in your lap. They just don't. You got to get out there and look. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such great advice. And when you do put in that work or even it's like the intention behind it, right? Like you went to the boot camp, you had the intention to do your own deal, raise capital and you walk in your dogs. And the universe sends you like a potential investor lender partner, right? That turned into this great partnership. And I feel like the same with Julie and me, we both had this intention to create this business and help moms and help families. And out of the blue, we met at a real estate conference and formed this partnership. And so that's such a great lesson and such a great tip is that if you set that intention and you put it out to the universe, this is what I want. I'm putting in the work. 
And then things will start to line up. And I love that. What you focus on expands. That's a good thing to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. Okay. So then you started out with wholesaling and rehabbing and somewhere along the way, you sort of made your way to storage. So walk us through that journey. So what happened next? So basically what happened is I got pregnant. That's what happened. And, you know, I was at the time, I was the like crazy person that was doing 15 rehabs at the time. I was one of those people. Wow. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was doing 15 rehabs and got pregnant. And then all of a sudden, like the mom bulb just like turned on in my head. And I was thinking to myself, how there is no way, how am I going to be able to do this? There's just no way. And because like doing one, everybody knows doing one rehab is a lot of work. I mean, think about 15, you know, and I had like a whole team. I mean, I was really managing like a huge company. And so all of a sudden I just told my husband, I was like, that's it, we're done. And the thing is, is that I had up to that point, which was five years into it, I had not focused on passive income at all. We had acquired a couple of houses along the way as like rental properties, but mostly because they were creatively, it was like creative deal structures and it was like zero money down or something like this, you know? So we hadn't really thought about passive income. You know, I was just one of these things like, yeah, let's get another check. Let's get another check. And once I got pregnant, I started just kind of freaking out a little bit. Honestly, I have a realtor that I've been working with for 10 years also as well, too. Like one of the very first people that I started working with. And he was, he would be the one that would go out and find all my properties for me. And I bought most of my houses. I bought off the MLS. I bought like 80% of my houses off the MLS. This is back in the day when you could do this. And so I just went to him and I was like, look, like I'm not buying any more houses. Like I just can't do it anymore. Like I need to finish these houses. And I also had like a huge amount of houses in the pipeline as well too. I was like, I just got to finish these houses. That's it. And so I said, you need to get out and please start looking for like passive income for me. Cause what I can do is I can, all of the investors that I have for all these properties that I have, I can just roll that money over into like either a portfolio or maybe a multifamily or something that's like passive income. And so he got out there and started looking and, and he just, the very first thing that he found was a storage facility that had been sitting on the market for five years. And he was like, Hey, the storage facility has been sitting on the market for quite a while. He said, probably because it's not worth what it's you know listed at. He's like, you want to go take a look at it? And it happened to be like 20 minutes from my house. So it wasn't even that far away, which was awesome. And I was like, yeah, I'll go over there and take a look. You know, I had no idea about storage facility. I literally, I had no idea. You know, back in the day, there was nobody that taught you how to invest in self-storage. And really there are not a lot of people that do that even right now because it's such a small niche. You know, there's only 50,000 storage facilities in the country. And if you think about it, if there's 50 states, there's a thousand in each state and probably 80% of all those storage facilities, 20 to 25% are owned by REITs. Cube Smarts and, and U-Hauls and stuff like that. You know, 75% are owned by mom and pop shops. And a lot of these mom and pops are like me. They'll own like two or three or four of them, right? Which kind of even makes that number, that 700, even less to 500. And you know, there's only 500 people in the entire state that own like storage facilities. You know, so it's a very, very small niche. And so nobody really gets in and kind of teaches you. And so I just like went out and took a look at this storage facility. And I drove by it and it was like, it was the dumpiest storage facility that you ever saw, right? So for me personally, as like a rehabber at heart, I'm driving by this like storage facility and I'm like, I love you so much. Yes, I want you. Yes. 
And so now it was just like, okay, I told, I went back to my realtor. It's like, yes, we want this. Like now we have to figure out how to get this thing, you know, at the right price and all this. And that's kind of how it started. But that was back in the day when a realtor could actually find you a storage facility. Now that's really, really hard to do. You really have to learn how to find good storage facilities to buy. But that's how it worked. That's how so it worked. I'm curious, you find the storage facility. And for me, if I was, you know, introduced to a storage facility, I'd be like, I don't care how dumpy or great or whatever it looks. I wouldn't even know what to really do with it. How did you go into the deal and analyze, right? Like, I'm sure you had to run some numbers. You had to figure out comps. Like, what does that look like? Because I'm sure there's some of our listeners out there who are thinking, this sounds like it would be a great opportunity. It's been on the market for five years. Get it at a great price. Fine. But well, how did you run the numbers or how did you, I guess the real question is, how did you assess the opportunity? Yeah. So this is how I assessed it because I had no idea to assess how to assess it. Okay. Right. And, and remember self-storage is commercial real estate. So really, truly, if you want to get into self-storage investing, you have to learn how to run commercial deal analysis. Okay. Like you do not want to do what I did, you know, and I've talked to many people over the past couple of years where they've hired me as like a consultant to run their, their deal analysis. And they've bought like, they've bought it at the right, wrong price and stuff. So don't do it the way that I did it on the first deal. Actually learn how to do it properly, right? And storage facilities are analyzed as warehouses. They're warehouses. That's what they are, right? So warehouses in the commercial world are analyzed by square footage, total square footage, okay? If you want to be a storage nerd, right? Then you're going to start learning, you know, how to talk the lingo, and basically, you're going to buy a storage facility. You don't say, I'm going to go out and buy a, a unit or anything, like a storage unit or anything. And you don't talk about doors in the self-storage world. You don't say, oh, yeah, it was 100 doors or whatever, right? Because that's like a multifamily thing. That's not a like a storage thing. So you want to learn how to talk the lingo and you want to learn how to run commercial deal analysis. When you run commercial deal analysis, you want to know what the purchase price is, what your terms of the loan are going to be, right? Because that really kind of makes or breaks the deal anyways. We'll get back to our conversation with Stacy in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. 
We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Stacy Rossetti. And you can get awesome loans right now on storage. Banks love storage facilities. You can go to like a local bank. You can go to SBA. You can get great terms on loans. You need the purchase price, the term of the loan. You need the total square footage, the annual income, the market cap rate, the vacancy. Is it full? Is it not full? And then you need property taxes, utilities, and insurance. And then your expenses, like whatever it's going to cost to run the deal. So it's basically what you would really need in order to run commercial deal analysis. Me personally, my very first deal, I had no idea about that, right? So essentially what I did is I walked, I met the owner. I was, I told my realtor, I was like, I want to meet the owner and go out there and just talk to him and just see what he says or whatever, you know? And his name, and it was called Big John's Storage Facility. I told my realtors, like, I want to meet Big John. All right. So we drove out. My husband came with me and I took one of my lenders. All right. Because I already knew it was going to be a good deal. I had to figure out how to get it at a good price. So I took the lender that I thought would be the best one for the deal. I took him with me and I took my husband with me. And I said, you know, and I met Big John. Big John was 88 years old. All right. And he built the property in 1980. So he had had it for like, a gazillion, bazillion years. Okay. And he was tired of it. He did not want it. And his wife had been wanting to move to Florida for like, you know, 10 years and like, but especially in the last five years and especially in the last year. Right. And uh, so we walked around the property and he's told us his life story. And basically what, what I did as I walked the property is I looked at the property and kind of analyzed it in my mind. This is what I did. So it was a long, skinny row of units. Each unit was a 20 by 10 and there was 64 of them. Okay. So 20 by 10 times, if you do that by 20 by 10, you can also make it in 10 by 10, right? So essentially 64, 20 by 10s, or I guess 140 something 10 by 10s, right? And then it was on a three acre lot and the entire perimeter of the lot was all fenced in and it was all parking. Okay. And it was in like an industrial area. Like it was kind of like nicer area, but like, an indu- you know, how you, sometimes you go down those streets where it's like all industrial, like buildings and stuff like this. It was kind of like this. And he was parking there like big rigs and dump trucks and tow trucks and like box trucks and stuff like this. So you could do like parking. And I personally was like, yeah, that's cool because you could get more money for that stuff, right? So, you know, a car you could get, let's say you get like 50 bucks for a car. And then the bigger that they go, the bigger space that you need, you get more and more money, right? More money. So essentially he said that he typically charged for his parking, his parking, he charged $35 a lane, 
right? Those are called lanes, $35 a lane. And he charged $35 for a 10 by 10 unit. All right. And so I just calculated, like I went around and just calculated. Now he was the type of guy that was like, you want to park here? Sure. Just go find a spot. <laughs> and it was just a disaster. It was a disaster. And when we bought the place, we realized that there was like at least, there was at least 30 cars that hadn't paid in like five or 10 years or something like this. Like it was just all over the place. And so we walked to the perimeter and checked it. And it was also a dumping ground. Literally, it was just like, I mean, it was the worst property that we've ever bought. And we're on our ninth one now. So, <laughs> and we walked around it while he was telling us a story. I was kind of told my husband, I was like, kind of calculate what you think and we'll compare numbers. What do you think we can make? How many lanes can we make? We didn't know what it was called lanes. We called like, how many parking spots can you make? <laughs> and then like we run around and calculated and he came up with like 60 and I came up with like 55 to 60 or something. And we're like, okay, that's good. So 50 55 to 60. We knew that it was like $35 for a 10 by 10. So he had 120, oh, I guess it was 120, whatever it is, 120 something. Like that. So we calculated $35 times 120 and $35 for the 60 unit, the 60 parking lanes. And then we came up with this number that was like six or seven grand. It was like some random grant, whatever that number is that y'all can all calculate this out. We came up with like five, six, seven grand for this thing. And so I said, okay, so like how much are you making per month? And he said, he said, yeah, I make around maybe $2,300 a month. Something like this. And I already knew like just calculating, it was going to be like at least five grand. Come on, you know? And he said he was making $2,300. So he was making half of what is possible or, you know, less than even more. So in my mind, I just was like, okay, that's at least 50 cents on the dollar, right? Or something. That's kind of how I calculated it. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm very interested. I want to buy this. Like, let's go into your office. He has a little kid, like a little tiny office right there. It's like, let's go into your office and let's try to figure out how we can run the numbers. I was looking at my lender and I was like, what do you know? Like my eyes were kind of like, you know, this is a good deal, you know? And so you could tell that he was just like, yeah, whatever you, let's just see what we can get for this thing. And it was on the market for $500,000. Okay. Now I know that, you know, about 75 to 80% full, it's worth $500,000. He said it was full. He's like, I said, is it full? Like, you know, everybody's paying. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's full. He's like, and I was like, how is that possible that it's full? And it's, he's only making $2,300 a month. There's like no way. Right. But he was like, yeah, yeah, it's full. And we, after we bought the place, we realized it was full of like everybody's crap and nobody was paying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we went into his office. This is the best part. And I was like, okay, let's talk the numbers, John. I was like, we got to figure this out. I was like, I'm not going to be able to pay 500,000. I was like, my lender's right here. And we are ready to like close on this and buy this from you. And he said, I'm going to show you my numbers so you can look at them. And so what he did is he opened up the drawer in his desk and he pulled out a ledger. And the ledger was like, I don't know, it was like this full. It was like huge, like six inches full, right? From like 1980 into to now. And he had just been like, you know, putting it down in his little thingy, you know, writing it down. He was like, these are my numbers from the last like year or whatever. And he was a cash only business. And if he got any checks by chance, he would deposit those. So he could show proof of that. But he could not show proof of like any cash. Like he just pocketed that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And that's what a lot of storage facility owners do. A lot of them, they'll be like, oh, I got some land over here. Let me just throw up some storage facilities. And like, we'll just like call, you know, I'll just pocket all this money. 
And what storage facility owners uh, don't realize is that they're, they're kicking themselves in the butt when they do that, right? Because in the commercial investing world, like we all know that it's income-based, it's income-based, right? You have to be able to show how much money you made so that you, you can sell it for top dollar, right? So you want to get in there. And like, when I talk to an owner that's running the storage facility, completely awesome. And they're like, yeah, we're 90% full. I'm like, okay, well, you're gonna be able to prove that with your P&L and your balance sheet. And they're like, oh yeah. And they'll just like show that to you because they want to sell it for top dollar, right? Well, he had like, John had none of this, right? He had nothing, nothing. He just had a ledger. He was like, you can have my ledger if you want. So I was like, I don't need your ledger. I said, I'm going to explain this to you, John. Okay. This is how it works in the commercial world. You know, I said, you have to be able to prove how much money that you're making. And so the reason this property has been sitting on the market for five years, you can only have somebody that buys it with cash. That's it. You can only buy it with cash, right? You want somebody to have $500,000 cash to come and buy this property. And there's nobody that's going to do that, especially if you can't show your numbers, right? So because of that, I'm going to give you an offer and it's going to hurt you when I give you this offer. I'm just preparing you. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you that this is what the property is worth. Okay. My lender's here and I'm, he's here and he's ready to put this money down so that we can do this and close this. Cause I know you want to move to Florida. Your wife wants to move to Florida. So I think if you can agree on this, we can get this done. Y'all can just be out of here. And he said, what's the number, you know? And I said, my, I'm putting an offer in for $200,000. That's my offer. Poor big John. I had no Poor idea. big John. <laughs> I had no idea what this property was worth. I was just like, 200 sounds good, you know? And in my mind, I was like, yeah, 250 is a good number. You know, so I said 200,000. And I looked at my lender. I was like, is that okay? And he said, yeah, you know, like, it was like just going along with it. He didn't care. And so then John was like, no, I'm not selling it for $200,000. No. <laughs> okay. Well, Look at all these ledgers. Like, I, this <laughs> yeah. is years of ledgers. Exactly. I can't do that. It's so <laughs> It was like, it was the best thing. And then, so he's like, I'm not selling it for 200. So, okay, well, that's our offer. So just, you know, you know, think about it. If you change your mind, just let us know. And, you know, we could, we could always come up with something. And so I left, we all left and I left with my lender and he was like, you know, that thing's worth like at least six, seven, $800,000, right? If you fill that up. And I was like, it is really? Yeah. You know? And so he called back the next day and he said, 250 is what oh. he did. In my mind, like you said, in my mind, I already knew it was going to be 250. He said 250 and I'll do it. And I said, okay, 250 sounds good. To oh me. my goodness. So anyway, That's... so we went in there and started cleaning that thing up. We're now hundred percent full. We've had it for five years and that thing is worth at least seven, $800,000. And it's yeah. not even like we have all lanes filled. And actually we have probably about 75 lanes of parking and to come to find out like, $35 was like a quarter of what he could have been charging for this thing. Like we called right. all the competition to see what everybody's charging. And they were charging for like a 10 by 10, like $70 a month or something. And he was charging like 30, $35. And it took me a year. I was too afraid to even raise the rents. This is like, because yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah. it took us a year to raise the rents. But when we, and because I thought everybody was going to leave, I raised yeah. the rents. And I raised the rents and guess what? Nobody left. Yeah. It's always like that, right? You're afraid to make that move. But when you do, and you're sitting there like biting your nails and you're like, oh my gosh, is everybody going to leave? And no one goes. 
No one goes. And it's like the frog in the water thing, right? Where you drop the frog in the water and then you slowly increase the temperature and they don't leave and they don't jump and slowly. (laughs) Well, we know how that story ends. But I think the one thing I want everyone to take away from this story, you guys, is that Stacy's journey was not one filled with, you know, really high level analysis. And yes, you said it's not the way you're supposed to do it. But the point is that I think a lot of people get hung up on, I'm not a real estate investor. I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know the numbers. And I don't, how am I going to do It's all these like mind, like roadblocks that prevent you from ever getting started. And if you look at the way Stacy talked about this, it's like, okay, how many units times how much is he getting? You should be able to see what the property can earn you, right? And then thereby figure out what the value is. Like it doesn't take rocket science. It's just, simple math. And even that translates over to multifamily too. When you think about how many units you have, a hundred units that are renting for a thousand bucks a month, you should be able to tell you, you know, what the gross annual income is. It's pretty easy. And generally speaking, expenses trend in multifamily, like around 45 to 50%. And you just do the quick math. So I think the takeaway from your story is just that things don't need to be really high level. It's really just going in and kind of, you know, running some numbers and doing some math. So you did that first property and then you've done now eight more after that. In that journey of doing eight more, was there anything that kind of stood out in terms of like challenges that you faced or, you know, successes that you had, big wins, like what over the next eight deals that kind of stand out in your mind? So now I just like, the first one was the hardest and it did take us a good, I would say a couple of years to just figure that one out. It took us about 18 months to really start even turning a profit on that and everything. Cause we just like, we had no idea what we were doing. We were like, like I said, we didn't raise the rents. We were cleaning everything, all the units and stuff. We would just do all that ourselves. And I mean, it was all very hands-on, you know, mm-hmm. we take our daughter, her name is Lillian. Our storage facilities are Miss Lillian self-storage. Oh, yeah, we have everything for her. Like we're always like, okay, these are going to be, uh, we take her to the facilities and she's always like, ah, can I watch some Peppa Pig? You know, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, this is yours. Uh-huh. And we would take her and like be cleaning out units and just like this. Love it. And so, and then, but the second one, like we started, we actually hired somebody to answer the phones, the second Mm -hmm. one, and then, you know, and got a little bit better at kind of managing it. And then the third one was like, okay, let's really start to automate this. And, you know, within like the third one, the first, the second one was about, took maybe about a year for us to really get that up and running and just, you know, uh, making money. And then the third one was like, okay, we need to have this within 90 days. Like, this is not like, you can't just do that. And then we really started to automate and systematize it and just really kind of get smarter about how we run them. And now like we bought two this year already and literally within 30 days, they're up running, turned over and like we're on to the next one kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of how it works. You just get smarter and yeah, you get smarter and smarter as you keep doing them. The students like in my coaching program, it's so funny because they'll be like within the first 60 to 90 days, they'll be ready to buy their second one. And it's just like so awesome because I can see like, if I would have known that it would have been, you know, I could have been doing a lot more, you know, but it just took us time to figure all that out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's like you said, though, too, in the beginning of the show, talking about coaching and how valuable that is for you. And it is for Annie and I as well. We still we've had coaches from four years ago when we first got into the business till today. And now I think we probably have more coaches today than we did back then. But it's all about shortening that learning curve and being able to leverage their knowledge and their experience to go farther, faster. So we're big believers in all of that. And, you know, certainly the, the trajectory that you talk about is one of just business in general, right? You go out when you first start a business, there's a lot of hard work with not a lot of pay in the beginning. And you kind of don't know what you don't know. And as you move forward, and like you said, you know, second deal, third deal, you're delegating, you're got your automations in place, you're systematizing things so that you can be more efficient and you can do more deals in a shorter amount of time. And then you close deals eight and nine and, and you know, in 30 days, they're up and running and boom, you're going to do another one and probably more than you've ever done this year. So I think that's a good reminder to everybody out there that, you know, in the beginning, it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of work that needs to go into building this as a business if you truly want to be in it for the long game. And we've talked about this on the show before too. We've had a couple of guests on the show where we talk about automations and systematizing and delegating because that's what really allows you to go farther, faster, and also get you to a point where you can move from being an operator to an owner, which is something that a lot of people don't know how to do. And a lot of that comes down to systems and the automations and the delegating, which is not easy to build out. But once you figure it out, it's good times after that. So, wow, I could keep going. There's so many more questions I could ask you, but we've got to roll on. So let's move on to the Life and Money Show Spotlight. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is, what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? So I, we are like, basically we are, my husband, when I say we, my husband, myself, and my daughter, we are huge travelers. And that's honestly one of the main reasons why we love self-storage. And last year when, like when COVID hit and like, you know, everything went crazy, my husband and I, we just decided to just jump into our car and just travel uh, the country for uh, four months. So we we did 16 national parks in 16 weeks and we did, you know, and this is like go inside anywhere. So you just, we went to all the national parks and kind of hung out and it was amazing. It was awesome. And guess what? All of our storage facilities were just ran, you know, completely passively. And, you know, we could do that from, and I tell my students, like, you should be able to do that from anywhere in the world, really. And then after we came back, then we went to Tampa and spent almost a month in Tampa. And then we went to Maine and spent like two months in Maine. So we traveled for like six, seven months last year. And we ran all of our storage facilities that way. And uh, this year we're doing it a little bit different. We're doing once a quarter, we take three weeks off is how we're doing it this year. So it's really, let's just travel for us and spending all that time together and just really designing our life around being able to go not only to visit family, but to see other parts of the world as well. Love it. Well, you're speaking our language. That is exactly what Annie and I love to do as well. In fact, that's what Annie's doing right now. She's on a Airbnb road trip. She'll be on the road for the next month or so. And I know a lot of our listeners have a you know value for the same lifestyle. So, you know, certainly why uh, we've gotten into it and why I know a lot of our listeners have gotten into it as well, but that's super inspiring. 16 national parks in 16 weeks. Wow. I think she's got you beat there, Annie. <laughs> I, oh, definitely. 
But we right. did stay in Airbnb the whole time as well, too. Like, it was like, oh, you have an RV? We used to have an RV. We sold it. Or we didn't sell it. We gave it to my, my husband's father. We gave it to them. And we just stayed in, in Airbnbs. There's not enough Airbnb in the world. I they're know. all so booked mm-hmm. and they're so expensive now. I know. I know. I'm yeah. with you on that. I'm it's with great, you on that. Great, also a great industry to get into, I think. Yep. All right. Second question is what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? So, um, you know, I think for us, we're, we are very, very stringent on how we spend our money. We're the type of people. So, you know, when they say your expenses are supposed to be 30% of whatever you do, like your business, 30%, like that's the rule for us. 30%. Our coach says like marketing should be like 8% of what you spend, you know? So like, we kind of like, that's kind of how we do it. We're, we do the profit first program. Have y'all heard of profit first? Okay. So we focus on profit first, which is basically like an accounting system internally for like business, like small business owners. And it really kind of teaches you how to, as a small business owner, how to manage your money. And we follow that, which is like exactly what I said, like there's rules on like what your expenses are and how you manage your business. So just really following, like just really being smart about your expenses based on like the, you know, versus like how much income that you have into your, your companies. That's, that's a big tip for us. Love that. That's such a good tip. When I was first getting started, uh, you know, a lot of people, what is their the one thing that they always say, I don't have money to invest in real estate. And the truth is that if you're kind of, you know, strategic about the money that you have coming in and the money that's going out, you'll find the money. You can find, everyone can find that money. If you're working a job, most people can adjust their living expenses to find something to put away, even if it's not a lot. Or the flip side of that, if you don't have a lot of money is to figure out how to raise some money, right? Like that's what Stacy did in the beginning. And it was a skill set she said she valued. And that's a skill set that Annie and I have obviously perfected as well. So, you know, but one way or another, figure out how to manage your finances and you'll be able to achieve the life that you want to have. So I love that. All right. Last question is, what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Well, so I am a very, very community oriented person. And I used to own a RIA. I used to own the South Atlanta RIA. And that's like, you know, and then what happened was like COVID happened. And then of course, like nobody's meeting face-to-face anymore, right? So if, if anybody here doesn't know what ARIA is, ARIA is a Real Estate Investors Association. I'm sure you guys have talked about this before on the show. And so I owned the Southland ARIA for many, many years and then COVID hit. And what happened was we decided we, 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 we went completely virtual. And then all these different people started like coming and joining and becoming a member of the South Anaria from like, for instance, like California, they wanted to invest in Georgia, right? Or like, you know, Tennessee wanted to invest in Georgia. And they were like, finally, there's a way for us to learn how to invest in Georgia, you know, when we live like outside of the state. I started to get my head churning a little bit. I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I was like, if we're going to be completely virtual, which is the way that the world is turning anyways, I was like, why can't I just be national? Right. So South Atlanta essentially, why can't we just like teach nationally? So essentially that's what we did is I created a community. It's called REI USA. And basically what it is, is like online education for real estate investors. It's a virtual, like it's just basically webinars and these, and we have like expert investors across the country and all they want to do is just come and teach. 
and just teach what they know and stuff. It's like really, really amazing. It's such a great community and it's grown so fast over the last couple of months. And it's basically a community of real estate investors. And then the teachers just come in and just teach and share and just like let, you know, help and guide people, you know, to get and started in the real estate investing. So that's our community. That's what we're giving back now. And it's really not just me teaching and like, and it's free actually to try to come in and check it out. And it's like, it's not just me, you know, teaching and charging now anymore. It's like, it's like investors across the country. It's like, it's a movement. Really, it's like instead of us going out and spending twenty-five or fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars to learn how to invest in real estate, now like all of us people like me that are givers, essentially we just give and teach, you know, and just like share, and that's the community that we've created. It's awesome. That's one of the best ways to give back is to just take that knowledge that you've taken so long through your hard work through your weekends, working in this storage facility and figuring out the numbers along the way and taking that and sharing that with others to cut their learning curve in half and help them get to their goals faster. That's an incredible way to give back. So Stacy, tell our listeners if they want to follow up with you and learn more about all that you're up to, what's the best place they can go? So check me out at stacyrosetti.com. That's the best place. And there's where you'll find like information about REI USA. You'll find information about storage nerds and you'll be able to, you know, if you're whatever type of social media that you're in, then you can find that and you can just go check all that out as well too. But so stacyrosetti.com is the website. Stacy Rossetti, creator of REI USA and Storage Nerds. Stacy, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your amazing stories with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored. I appreciate you letting me come hang out with you guys. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 